0: Peaky Blinder fans, we are back and inching closer and closer to season six. It's the end of January. Happy to be with you, Daniel and Josh, per usual. And Josh, you know, once again, I want to go out and remind everybody that while we're not updating you guys weekly over here on the Apple, Google, Spotify side of things, or over on patreon.com/slash buy order of Peaky, right now doing our season five rewatch. We just posted episode two yesterday. And, uh, and Josh, it's uh, season five is a slow burn, which, which kind of brought us to our, our original idea to do this episode and maybe find out, actually, it was your idea, to find which was the, the consensus best Peaky Blinders episode. And I think we've, we've come to a conclusion. We asked a couple people. We put a poll out over on our Facebook at facebook.com slash Peaky Podcast. And unanimously, season two, episode six, came ringing in and and we just we just got off watching the episode you and I and it's uh it's it's to the it's the simpler times as you as you put it to me
1: absolutely we decided hey we we want to do something different we want to you know put put together a kind of a splashy episode to kind of do something different that's just not the rewatch or just you know some some mailbag stuff which we do love doing but um I thought that why not just review the best episode ever, Peaky Blinders, the consensus best episode, as you pointed out. And that is undoubtedly season two, episode six, the best episode in Peaky history. And after watching it, as, as you said that I said, much simpler times. I mean, just from start to finish, pure entertainment, a lot of action, not too many scenes, not too much talking, but a lot of doing. And just really crazy to see these characters in their roles so long ago. Michael looks so young Tommy looks younger Arthur looks a lot younger and I mean that's also a testament to the production of the show to have them develop in their age as well because it's not like it was that long ago this was filmed but they look a lot more developed and this the episode was just tremendous and I'm really excited to talk about it
0: yeah and so and before we dive into that you know a couple updates here off of the top I know everyone's been asking about a release date for season six and how you can watch it and- right on cue we're partnering with express vpn to get all of you watching season six live with us before it comes to netflix try expressvpn.com peaky try expressvpn.com peaky and for less than seven dollars a month your computer will be masked and protected showing you're in london miami spain wherever you want T-R-Y expressvpn.com slash Peaky. Try it today. There was a, an update over on the uh, Peaky Blinder Season 6 Instagram page. Good friends of the podcast. And somebody commented from the UK. His name was Rohan. And he said that he just did some research. And they announced the release date for Season 4 17 days before the show aired on BBC. Then on Season 5, they announced it 16 days before the the show aired. So that seems to be something that the UK, you know, the BBC network does, I guess 2 weeks before the episode airs, the TV guide refreshes. It's kind of odd, makes no it's sense Josh, to us Americans, kind of like you want to generate
1: buzz for for your show and kind of just dropping it 2 weeks before is not necessarily the greatest idea like for, like for example, Ozark had its release date announced for a while, and they had a trailer generating. You know, I, I think it was probably like a couple months ago. I, I, I'm not sure the exact the exact release date, but it generated buzz and it gen- garnered interest. And in, let's say somebody has never watched the show, they can binge the show seasons one through five here in in, in a peaky scheduling, and then they can be ready to watch the show. So I don't understand the marketing strategy of that. I'm not gonna go that deep into it, but just my thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of the trailer and, and teasers have said February. They've said February, they say early 2022. But to not have a, a, a specific ironed date says something towards the, I don't know, the organization up top with BBC. Maybe they don't have you know the, the kind of scheduling tier system that America has inside their system, and they just don't value the dates set up in that manner. So we're just going to keep guessing and, and, and try to line up our season five rewatch perfectly. But if you guys want to go back and watch this season two, episode six, masterpiece. I mean, it is, it is how to make a perfect episode. Stephen Knight generates. It's, it's so perfectly done. Go ahead, press pause. Watch that season two, episode six. You know, just a miracle. It was just so perfectly done. And then go back and listen to us Wait, break every- it down
1: every single part of the episode, from the acting, the writing, to the music, to the costume
0: design, all of it was amazing. I, I would say the music really carried the early seasons of Peaky Blinders, and that's yep. something that I hope they kind of get back to here in season six coming up. We'll have some prediction podcasts coming out, and as always, we've got our season five rewatch and a ton of bonus stuff over on patreon.com slash by order of Peaky. Uh, we, we, we're in the works with uh, with a VPN company, hopefully, that can help us out here that that can get you all watching this BBC show if you're not located in London. So stay tuned on that. We'll have updates for you in the next few weeks. But another big news here before we dive in, and this kind of has something to do with finales, right? We're about to review the season two episode six finale with complete spoilers and all of that. But they announced that the season six finale episode will have a feature length episode. So this is something that that Stephen Knight came out and said, and it's an interesting, I don't know, development that we, we now know that TV shows that are not on normal TV, that are on Netflix, HBO, they can kind of do whatever they want, right? Game of Thrones had regularly 80 minute episodes down the stretch in their final season. And that sounds like something 80, 90 minutes that this finale will be for Peaky Blinders season six. And that, that gives us a little bit of hope, right? That they're going to, they know what they're doing. We're in the—we're in—we're in safe hands out here in rocky waters. Yeah,
1: hopefully it's just like season two, episode six, which which was a masterpiece, as we said. And so uh, let's, let's hope it's good news. I, I mentioned a lot that it's going to be tough for them to pack in everything in just six episodes of 45 to 60 minutes. And to make it a feature like that episode, it kind of shows that, that last episode is going to tie everything together very well. So I'm hopeful and optimistic.
0: Me as well. So let's break it down. Let's let's go right into it. Season two, episode six, the best rated episode on IMDb, a 9.6 score. Funny enough, though, and I wonder, Josh, in like in a year or two years, do you think somebody a part of the Peaky Blinders writing staff or creation staff or directorial staff will go back and like name some of these episodes because – the last two seasons are all named, right? This is, we're we're doing we're going through season five now. They all have names: Black Cat and Black Monday, and we know we're going to have you know Black Tuesday coming up. Um, but it's just season two, episode six, which it could have been called the Darby or something like that. Or
1: Epsom. I mean they Eps- they yeah. put they put Epsom in big bold letters uh, at some point in the episode, obviously to show where they are. But they can just name it Epsom, or I I, I don't know. They can name it whatever they want. There's a lot of different things that could happen because a lot happened in this episode. So from start to finish.
0: And and I'm going to be completely candid, right? I have not watched this episode since we did our rewatch before season five, whatever, two and a half years ago. So there were some things that I remembered and there were some things that I didn't remember. And I think the things that I didn't remember, I just didn't know they were in this episode. But uh, we'll get to Alfie in a second. Let's start off with just, I think the classicness of having a voiceover really, I don't know calms down a, an audience like especially myself just having an episode start without mayhem and instead it's just tommy's voice was it was a superb way it's we've got tommy writing the letter to the new york times writer in case he dies basically laying it all out but the way that and, and you texted me about it josh we're watching it simultaneously and josh is like you know what is it is it my name is tommy shelby and today i'm gonna kill a man is that how it yeah, starts
1: exactly exactly how it starts which was an amazing start to the episode just a bang right away, sets everything up. It kind of provides like a roadmap as to like what's going to happen.
0: And and, and no, it explains no it, right? Like, going down. It, it may be confusing if he didn't explain what he was doing, right? Why he was killing this, what, a Fenian agent of the IRA with pro-Fenians and anti-Fenians and all of this. Uh, basically, he lays it out by saying, this bullet will start a civil war in Ireland, or that's the plan. And and it's kind of, uh, feels like it's a, it's an institution of what the UK Secret Service could do. And instead they're gonna use some, you know, brummy gangster like like Tommy to go about and, and pull it out. But I don't know, early on, Josh, there were some scenes in just the first couple minutes that had me really nostalgic. Right? We see young Michael with Polly, we see young John, we see Esme. There John are, really, John really hit, it hit it, the it, cord. It, pulled, it pulled some cords it hit different it, it definitely
1: hit different seeing him was crazy i mean as you said seeing michael a young 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 michael he looks
0: so young i think the hair too his hair is very lazy it's on not the sides. it's not
1: as gelled and slicked back so it, so it looks a little longer um and i mean
0: just crazy seeing all these characters in their younger state so what's interesting about this episode is you can kind of break and and it's so beautiful right it's you can break this sixth episode of season two into essentially a three-part play, right? And that's how, that's how movie writers and directors like to break down some of our best theatrical displays into three parts. And the first part is the Alfie Solomons of it all. And yeah. just like the, the Ali, we've, we've, we've interviewed with Adam L. Hagar back during COVID. And if you haven't watched that, you can watch that interview video and audio over on our Patreon, just $5 a month, or you can listen to it for free by just scrolling back to the mid 2020s. And, uh, and when we were getting into the swing of things, but L. Hagar is so good. So worried. Tom Hardy is just firing on all cylinders it's what is it it's non-fucking-negotiable he just wants non-fuckin 100% negotiable, Tommy. exactly and uh I think it's the first time we've seen Tommy use the word funny maybe the yeah. only time yeah I mean that's because Tommy's like that's funny like 100% like he's like that's that's funny and then he pulls out the bluff about Ada's friend James who of course Josh O'Connor played uh the prince in the crown last season and was a. Uh, was critically adored for it. And it's funny to see him kind of make his, his uh, I don't know, BBC debut here of sorts with a little bit of taste of Peaky Blinders. And, uh, and he's a, uh, an anarchist, the kind of anarchist that, that blew up the Wall Street. It was, it's, it's so good. If, you have, if you're just listening to this, I really recommend going back and just watching the scene with Alfie and Tommy here, because it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's their best scene together, it's very genuine though. Yeah. like you can, I,
1: Go ahead. You can see the chemistry between the two. Like it probably didn't take many takes to do that scene. I'm sure there's even probably a little bit of improvising on uh, Tom Hardy's part there, but just like, just amazing chemistry. You can tell that they have a really good rapport, uh, just very fluid. They bounce off each other really well. It looks like a legitimate negotiation that would happen in those times. Just so brilliantly done and just shows how good of actors uh, Killian and Tom Hardy, just, also on that point, this was Killian Murphy's most masterful acting piece of all of all Peaky Blinders. He does such a good job as Tommy Shelby in this in this episode of showing his emotion, his raw emotion and also showing his prowess and genius and how he like maneuvers all of these different parts. Just brilliant brilliant acting by Killian Murphy. And and
0: what's what's fun about it too is the magnitude Right, It's like back in that time, it's reminding us that you really can't show up to these meetings without a lot of protection. Because at any time, someone can just say, we're going to kill you unless you give us everything. And, and you don't really have a lot to stand on. And that's kind of where Tommy had his protection. He bluffed. He knew all the details about the grenade. He, he explored a little bit more about himself and kind of told Alfie, like, I'm one of these people from the, the, the regiment that you've heard of the 179th, you know, the clay kickers and, and, you know, the, the mine sweepers and I survived with three other people or two other people. And then Alfie does something. And I feel like it's fun to kind of bring out the rare mistakes in this show, but it's, it's something only because we know gambling well, when Alfie says a hundred to one, that you're lying. That would mean if something is a hundred to one odds, that mean there is a 1% chance that it is, happening or accurate or will happen so for Alfie to say that 100 to 1 that you're lying and then he goes 65 to 1 that would mean that there's a small chance that Tommy's lying that means Alfie believes him so I think that was I think they meant to say it the other way but it sounds weird to say 1 to 100 so everyone just says it that way Josh but it's funny it's like one of those common misnomers especially in the gambling world
1: yeah unless he like was just trying to take advantage of Tommy and get really good odds on something if he he was lying if he knew there was a lock but he was making it seem like it wasn't a lock A hundred
0: to one means that you throw $1 when a hundred. Right. So, and Tommy was saying, I guess, I don't know. It it all comes back to like him saying 65 to one that you're lying. So I'll give you 35%. That part of the conversation didn't make a lot of sense to me, but at the end of the day, I think Tommy was just happy to leave there with some money, knowing that he's about to make a ton of money at the race and just wants his relationship with Tom Hardy to get back because we had that instance where he kills Billy kitchen and he turns Passover into a, uh, an unsacred affair um, earlier in the season. And, and we know how crazy Alfie can be, but it was, it was just great to see. Cause we didn't really get a lot. We had one or two Tom Hardy scenes in season five and he's kind of a shell of himself. So I'm curious to see if season six. And I think it, I think we'll get a lot more Tom Hardy in season six, because you're going out on top. He's not going to be in the movie. There's nothing to worry about there. I think we're, we're going to get him kind of firing on all cylinders. Like we did with Sabini and, and why, don't we, why don't we talk about the Sabini stuff? Because I, there's no reason to go too um, chronological in this episode. I kind of want to just touch on the antagonists and then the protagonists. And Sabini is so over the top here, Josh. Noah Taylor. It is so funny to watch. Of course, the guy from yeah, Game of Thrones. Defensive. Of yeah. course, the actor from Game of Thrones who cuts Jamie's hand off. So it, in, all, in all senses, it feels like he's, he's, he's going above and beyond to, to make sure that every second he's on the screen is going to be worth it. It was great to see Sabini here. Uh, it's it, I I texted him like oh my
1: god Sabini I like totally forgot about his character. Yeah. Just you, you like going from Sabini to Oswald Mosley where we are now. It's like crazy to see how far we've come. Like he was like nothing to Tommy compared to what
0: Oswald. I was about is. to say Sabini and Billy and uh, Billy Kimber are literally just like backwater small town they're just running horse races. I mean, Sabini's got a little bit more pull in the London gang situation. we had those episodes in season two, which were tremendous. I just think before Peaky Blinders went global, that's when it peaked, right? And that's the title of this episode, right? When did Peaky Blinders peak? And I think once we hit season three, that's when the global impacts start to come in, right? Before that, it was all small town. It was all just located in England. And then you involve Georgia and Russia and then you involve Italy and America. And now you're going to involve dot, dot, dot. We don't know in season six, but season five, I guess had a little bit more of, of, no, that was a lot of Ireland too. I guess Ireland kind of came into it early on as well. I'll correct myself there. But I, I feel like when it was simpler, Josh, nobody knew Tommy's plan. And now Tommy has confided in more people which then leads to situations like backstabbing and black cats. Back in season two, not even Johnny Dogs knew Tommy's plan, right? We had that scene of him in the car picking up Arthur who got out of jail and basically saying, like, this is all part of Tommy's plan, apparently. We're also so happy to welcome Audible Audiobooks as our newest sponsor. Listen, I've been listening to Audiobooks on Audible run by Amazon for years now. And now you can get a free trial by signing up at www.audibletrial.com/ peaky. Just a free trial, got to put in your information, and then you can get an audiobook, cancel whenever you want. There are two Peaky Blinders real story audiobooks available now. slash peaky. Sign up free now. When, when Johnny Dogs got Arthur out of prison or jail, Arthur had to call Alfie and tell, tell Tommy something. And that's when Johnny Dog said, well, this is all part of Tommy's plan, apparently. Nobody knows what Tommy's, nobody knew. He even said it in a letter. Nobody knew that Tommy was going to kill this officer. Right, right, right. So yeah, nobody no. knows, not even Polly knows Tommy's plan. And then as the seasons go on, Polly, Johnny Dogs, Lizzie starts to learn, Linda, all of these people know more about the plans. And that's when things start to go awry. Something I yeah. caught on. No, definitely, definitely something that
1: is that is interesting. Um, as you, as I mentioned before, so many things happen in the episode that you kind of
0: forget, especially with like not watching uh season
1: two for a while now. So
0: much, I, I I didn't even know that Polly. So in season four, when Polly wants Michael to run away to Australia, I forgot that that whole scene already happened here in this episode when Polly gives Michael a bunch of money and says, "Go run away to London," which, funny enough, does not feel far that far away.
1: Right. And that he's contemplating it and doesn't really know what to do. And I mentioned that it was ironic how at the end of the episode, Tommy says, you know, some of us bet that you're going to take the money and run. And some of us bet that you're going to be here, which is as we just did our season five, episode one, episode two rewatches where he was contemplating where Michael admits that he was contemplating, taking the money and investing it in Hollywood and running, which is so funny. I, I didn't realize that until now, but who knows if they did it on purpose. It's a
0: great, it's a great tie-in. What do you think? I mean, do you? I, I think that Tommy bet that Michael would stay, and Polly bet that Michael would leave. But Michael does say at the end, "Polly wants me to stay," which I don't know. Polly, that's when Tommy said, "Well, Polly's wants will always be a mystery to me." I think that it was Polly that bet with the group that Michael would leave, hoping that he would.
1: Yeah, it's it is interesting that she wanted him to leave. Um, And he was contemplating it, but obviously he makes the decision to stay and Peaky Blinders changes for the, completely changes after that. The whole, the whole trajectory of the show changes
0: from that decision. Severely. And we'll talk about the end of the episode in a minute, but there were a couple more things that just made this so good. And it's the, the acting as well from, you know, from a couple different people. Annabelle Wallace is so good in this episode. She shows up kind of like very, very vulnerable. She's such a badass for the first season and a half. But in this episode, she's vulnerable because she doesn't know what's going to happen with Tommy. She doesn't know that he's gonna take her back. She's just hoping and obviously shows up pregnant and desperate and then has that conversation with Mae Carlton as well. And And Charlotte Riley's performance of just being like, I know who you are, but you don't know who I am. Do you know, like, does that carry weight with you? And then obviously the big bombshell of her telling her that her name is Grace. Her name is Grace. And that's yeah. where, that's where May's like, ah, damn it. Tommy named the fucking horse after you. Yeah. So that's when I think she concedes. No,
1: it's uh, it's definitely a very tense scene between May and Grace. I mentioned that all of Tommy's love interests are all in the same building. You got Lizzie, you got May, you got Grace. Uh, it's just crazy. They're all in the same building. It was a very tense scene with, with, with Grace and May. I totally forgot that Grace and Tommy weren't necessarily like together at that point, but Grace obviously drops a huge bomb that she's pregnant with Tommy's baby. And
0: you had mentioned to me, we, we forgot that Charlie was Grace's not not Lizzie's. That's that's something that like how many people listening remembered throughout the last few seasons that didn't do a rewatch. I don't know. I just forgot that they weren't both Lizzie's children.
1: A, it's, it's, you notice she does
0: she does care a lot more about ruby
1: than she does charlie it's very true which is kind of effed up but i mean she she does
0: care more about i mean it makes sense but it, yeah. it is true in this world and then there's that interesting scene obviously well for those that forget or maybe are just listening without watching lizzie has to basically uh work as a pawn and distract this soldier down to the basement area where tommy comes a little late and lizzie almost gets raped and then who doesn't check their gun? I, this is a crazy thing that I, I kind of forget about as well. We kind of thought that everything went cleanly, maybe, but no. Tommy's gun doesn't go off, which is such an uncharacteristic mistake for the, the the leader of this show. And then he has to get into a real fight with with the soldier, kill him with his own gun. Lizzie then gets consoled by by John, who is like, "Oh, you were just you were prostituting, weren't you? You know, this is a dangerous place." And Lizzie's like, "Shut up!" But also you don't have it in your eye. You don't have, like, John does still have the twinkle. They talk about the twinkle a lot in the world and the war and the post-war non-twinkle anymore. And John, Finn, and Michael, they, they all have that childish twinkle and, and Lizzie sees it, which is, ugh, it's so tough to watch John and be like, fuck. like
1: Yeah, but knowing what's going to happen to him is just really hard and I, I miss him. I, I, I really wonder how the show would be different if he was still there. Cause he's so important to be he, awesome. The show's a very big catalyst for a lot of different events that happen in the show. And imagine him against like Oswald Mosley; like he, he would not, he would not be able to keep his cool whatsoever with him, but uh, kind of going back to Lizzie, I mean, just really feel bad for her in this episode. The, the, the position that Tommy put her in to be hung out to dry with that uh, soldier. Um, she was in a tough position and his gun doesn't go off. I remember when we broke this episode down initially, he just he had a lot of things go wrong, and that's very uncanny for uh, Tommy Shelby to have him kind of things go awry and not according to plan. Which is something that I took I took note of, which made this episode so good because it wasn't all dandelions and sunflowers and and you know that everything was just going well and, and perfectly because that's not what makes Piggy Blinders. Piggy Blinders. What makes Piggy Blinders Piggy Blinders is when things go sideways and south.
0: So let's, let's talk a bit about the, the music choices in this episode. Josh, you're, you're a little bit more of a music guy than I am. So, I mean, obviously, we don't get red right hand off the top, but we then get it when Inspector Campbell, yes, Inspector Campbell, great, great performance, the final performance of the, of the series for Sam Neill um, when he meets with the actual red right hand of the, uh, of the Ulster um, volunteer force. Then we get Red Right Hand. We later get PJ Harvey, Down by the Water, one of yep. your favorite songs ever. We finish with Anne Brunn and Ann Arctic Brun. Monkeys. The music is a character in this episode. It really is. Definitely a huge part of the episode. The, the Ann
1: Brunn, All My Tears, I've mentioned at the end of the episode is like my favorite combination of scene, acting, and music at the same time, especially because it was the end of the season and it was just a crazy scene. And then you kind of get that soft-spoken uh, Amber on All My Tears, which was just one of my favorite songs of the show, if not my favorite. We get the Arctic Monkeys to end the episode as well, um, when they're all kind of celebrating and uh, discussing when Michael
0: and Tommy are this might be a- the business and they're drinking. Arthur's, like, happiest season, right? He gets to, like, have the threesome in London— he goes to jail, but he gets out, and now he just looks so happy at the end of this episode, right? Drinking with John at the at the race, being like we're kings of the world, yeah. celebrating with everyone. Yeah. I'm happy for Arthur, and in the same light, it's a tough one for Polly, right? She has to kind of face her demons and she gets away and she finally does pull the trigger on her on her on the devil that's been looming over her all season.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, it's just a lot of things going on at the end. At the, the, end. But, but, there, the scenes are there's a lot. You said there's not a lot of scenes. There, there are some scenes. The, the second half of this episode, but it's kind of like one continuous loop. It's not like separate right. rooms. Like everything happens really at Epsom, and then you. It's really like it's like I don't know. I, I didn't count how many it was, but it was like eight to ten scenes. You know.
0: Yeah, it wasn't it twenty-five. Was, like like it wasn't it 25 wasn't of down five. at tables and talking. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. But uh, just master class episode we got you know Alfie we got Tommy we got Sabini we got Grace and May we got Polly killing Inspector Campbell which which is like
0: a, a super important part of the episode like, probably the, the most important part I was gonna it. say it's like a top five moment in the history of Peaky Blinders in terms of magnitude she gets her revenge she gets her revenge on Inspector
1: Campbell and Sam Neill is just such a good actor. I forgot He's how good so of an actor good. he is. He is so good, is Damn so good at playing this episode. Yeah. And he goes over the beginning, you know, he wasn't happy with the operatives that he was presented. So he kind of has to go the dirty route, the undercover route and kind of get his uh, his men to kind of do the job for him. But he gets whacked by Polly, in just one of the biggest, biggest scenes and one of the biggest deaths of the show's history by far.
0: And then lastly, the final scene, let's talk about it. You know, I'll never forget where I was. I've told you multiple times um, throughout the season, the years of of doing this podcast. I watched the first four, the first three or four seasons. I don't remember if it was three or four, just on trains throughout Europe on a trip I went on when I was, uh, when I was like 22, 23 years old. And I'll never forget sitting on the train mouth open, just stunned that, that Tommy was about to die ready. I mean, I, I thought, okay, they're going to kill the main character and the show's just going to keep going. We talked about how Tommy is kind of unkillable, but I'll tell you what, you ask many Peaky Blinders fans, especially ones who were watching it live and didn't know the, what the ne- what the future held. And this is a kind of perfect series finale had he just died in that pit. Like it would have been a fine two season series.
1: I, I, I remember watching and being like, I, I don't know how he gets out of this. Like there's no possible way. Like, you know, there's times where it's like, oh, he can take his gun out and shoot them and kind of disarm their weapon. And 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 he's safe. I was like, there's no possible way he gets out of this. And then the huge twist and what a cliffhanger into season three,
0: if you were watching live. Yeah. Right. It's like, I'm, I'm going to get married. I've got futures, ideas for the future of the company. And Michael's saying, I want to make real money with you. I, I'm just, it tears me apart. And that's why the, the, the fact that I'm not going to lose hope on this show just because season five was a little slow because of the emotions. It makes me feel loving Michael and Tommy together and now hating the fact that they're fighting and I want nothing more. And I know it's against what you want, but I want nothing more than them to just re- reconcile and work together. And then like a happy ending to end the season six. Like I, that would make me so just so happy. Wishful thinking right there. Of That's course. Not,
1: definitely not going to happen, but uh, I'll it, tell you what, is- it is nice to see them like
0: working in tandem. I have a feeling we're going to get close. Just like Tommy said here, right? I got close. I nearly got fucking everything. That's a little bit of a prediction there for me. I think we are going to get a minor, you know, reconciliation just to see it all get blown up. And that's that's usually the way this show works. Definitely a possibility.
1: I mean, who knows? Maybe Michael saves the day and saves Tommy in a situation where he really needs it. But it's uh, it's it's definitely a nice uh, prediction that you have there. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a happy ending. There's no possible way it's a happy ending. You think but... so, but
0: think... All right, let's finish up the episode with this, right? Season two finishes with a happy ending, correct? Yes. I mean, yes, somewhat. Season three finishes with a happy ending. He gets his child back. He gets all of the rubies and they go their separate ways with Rel- Tatiana. Relatively speaking, yeah. Season four finishes with a happy ending. They defeat changretta by right. by faking arthur's death and calling on capone season five does not yeah. so it's like season one didn't it was it a happy you know it was like it was like the weird it was the crazy cliffhanger right of the shooting in the in the train station not sureing so like we could call that not a happy ending right we didn't know if grace was dead we didn't know who what was going on but two three and four i would say objectively finished with pretty happy endings where like Nobody dies in the finale that we care yeah. about. That's what I mean. No, For sure. But that's not how the show's ending. It's just right. not. So that's that's the thing we're going to find out. Season five certainly did not finish with a happy ending. Everything went to shit. But we are, we're so thrilled to have gone through this with you guys. If you have opinions that differ from ours, is a different episode your consensus favorite? Let us know. Email us at B-O-O-T Peaky Blinders, at gmail.com. And we'll put together maybe one more follow-up episode if we get enough, uh, Listener questions or feedbacks, but for now, he's Josh. I'm Daniel, and we've been so you don't have to.